have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. This is Tom Cat, and you're listening to, of course this is what you're listening to, the I Know You Hear Me podcast. Enjoy. People have always asked me, Flynn, how do I become a professional wrestler? How do I become an actor? How do I become a podcaster? How do I get an agent? Well, if you're somebody that's asked these questions, then I've got the solution for you. I'm now offering coaching options that will help you find the answers to these questions and get on the path to success. So if you've been held back by fear, overthinking, or just don't know where to start, email me at theflynnhendricks at gmail.com, use the subject line coaching, and let me get in your corner and help get you on the path to success. And I know you hear me. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me pwc podcast with rick Del Santo. For all your wrestling reviews, interviews, and news, Rick covers the United Wrestling Network, the NWA, and the Northeast region of the United States Independence. PWC, 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 keeps you in the zone. Welcome back, everyone, to another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast with me, Flynn Hendricks. And my God, is today going to be a huge, huge episode. I have got the guest of all guests, one of the baddest men walking the planet. And I guess lucky for me, I, I'm pretty lucky he's not in studio with me here right now. So I don't want to come out, you know, like getting physically assaulted or anything like that. But I'm, I'm grateful to have this guy on the line with me here tonight. But before we get into all that, I got to take a minute and encourage you, if you haven't already, to go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, we're there. Go check out my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt. We're on all podcasting platforms there, so I've got something for everybody. And we're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, I'm there. But before we go any further, we're going to take a quick little pause here for a message from the Give Me Back My Podcast Network. 
Just how drunk are we gonna get? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Killboy Kreitz. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. And we're back. Now, without further ado, we're going to pick up on a trend that I started in season two, and we're going to have some more world champion interviews. I've interviewed previous uh, world junior heavyweight champions before, but now is my chance to not only interview a former NWA world's heavyweight champion who held it on two separate occasions, he was also the first true world-class wrestler to compete in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And... He was not only a UFC Triple Crown champion, he was the first UFC Triple Crown champion in history. You've seen this man on WWF TV at the time, holding not only the UFC heavyweight title, but the NWA World's heavyweight title. He's also the co-host of the Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity podcast. It is my pleasure to have on the show here tonight, Dan the Beast Severn. Dan, how are you, sir? Well, I'm glad I'm doing fantastic. I'm just... Motoring down the road, seeing the, the USA for my Chevrolet. Yes, sir. Yeah, you. Uh, we talked last night, and man, you were making the making the full loop here, going from uh, you know, up in Michigan down to Arizona, and now on your way to Ohio. Like that's a whew, that's a haul. Yes, it is. It's uh, uh I'll say uh, a, a lot of hours here. Sleep deprivation at its finest. I am no stranger to that at all, my friend. I am no stranger to that. But I appreciate you taking the time, you know, and passing the time on the road being here to chat with me. So let's uh let's take it back to the beginning here because you've got quite the extensive record, especially, you know, in amateur wrestling and mixed martial arts and even professional wrestling. So let's back it up to the beginning and tell me where your interest in all this started. Well, I'll say that uh, I'd be just like any other... I'll say, a uh, young man that uh, getting involved in athletics through the uh, through the school systems. I mean, the physical education classes. Uh, I mean, it, it's if you were to see what is being pawned off right now in our schools, uh, there's there's no there's no wonderment why the United States is one of the most obese countries in the world. Poor, poor nutrition. Mm-hmm. And, and poor uh, work ethics that uh, that are being taught to our kids. You know, we we supersize everything. We throw sugar. Absolutely, <laughs> we throw sugar on top of sugar. And nobody thinks twice about it. You know, that's the thing. It's just it's it's just everyday life at this point. Yep, yep. People tend to accept it more and more, but uh, it's. I just look at that. That's uh, that. People have a choice, and they, 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 they can make different decisions for whatever they are looking for. Absolutely. People like cattle, though. They just want to go along with the herd instead of being that uh, individual. 
And that's actually, you know, that's actually something that I had a conversation with a previous guest about, you know, it's like people don't want to branch out and be that different person because they don't want the radar. Like they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be under the magnifying glass. They just want to fly under the radar and go with the flow and everybody just, nobody wants to be singled out, whether it's for the right or for the wrong. And that's, like you said, that's a huge problem. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'll say you could say it's just a lot of the, uh, the political ramifications that are, that are the, the current uh, status here in the United States, but at the same token, it's also just the way that uh, each generation has uh, been eroded away a little bit more and a little bit more to where we actually are living in a very isolated world. I mean, when you look at all the electronics, do you really have to interact with anybody on an actual physical basis? No. You can do it all through electronics now. I mean, when you got uh, uh, kids, uh, you know, calling their parents that are downstairs to bring them up a soda pop or something like that, that just blows my mind. Yep. That's, I mean, that's the world we're in right now, and it's so weird because it seems like the further we've progressed, the further back we've regressed. It, it, it makes no sense to me, but that's the world we live in. Yep. Totally agree. Man, so... Looking, looking back at, you know, like your younger years here, you know, I see that you were a, uh, you know, you played uh, basketball in junior high and then you got involved in combat sports. What kind of led to that transition? And, you know, was that just part of your upbringing to be in these physical activities and just stay active? Or was that something you picked up on your own? Well, I mean, well, some of the things I just mentioned, there, I mean, I, I, I grew up on a farm, 120, 120 acre farm. Mm-hmm. Basically, 80 acres of it was actually tillable, and everything else was uh, woods, creeks, uh, you know, just, I'll say that I I lived the life of of Tom Sawyer growing up. I mean, it was fantastic just to fish and hunt and uh, uh, build tree houses, uh, bridges, uh, rope swings across the the, the river. I mean, it was, you know, just a a wonderful place to, to grow up. A lot of great to cherish the memories, but uh, you know, also there was a work ethic though too that went, went along there with it. If you go to put a farm, you gotta take care of your chores, you gotta take care of your animals, and uh, when it's uh, you know during the summer months it's a little bit easier, but uh, when, when you're the school year, you, know, you gotta you gotta take care of those animals first thing in the morning, and you need to do it in a timely manner because. That you get taken care of, you got to do it all within a certain time frame because you got to catch that bus. Absolutely. So, and, uh, you know, as my father would say, that, uh, son, you like to eat? And, uh, like, yep, and they, you know, so do the animals twice a day. So, you know, the, the chores in the morning was always pretty much the same time, but, uh, the chores at night, well, are you coming home right after school or did you have a practice that kept you later? Or did you have a, a, a away game, a away beat, and uh, now you're getting home that much later yet? Yeah. Well, still got chores to do. That's it. I mean, it, it still provides a level of structure and then responsibility at a young age and helps kind of mold you as you grow older, too. And I think with what you're still doing these days, I can tell that that structure and responsibility has played a huge impact on your development, too. So... I mean, it, it teaches you responsibilities that a lot of people these days wouldn't know a thing about. Right. I mean, you know, I'll get this what I'm doing right now. I mean, I, I, my last, uh, you know, you're going to figure that I, I went to bed uh, what, on Tuesday. I, so 
yesterday. I think that was Tuesday. I was actually when I left Arizona. So I've been driving through the night. Mm-hmm. Here I am. You know, I'm still about three and a half, three and a half hours out from Columbus, Ohio. I'll make it out there. That's where I'll get my sleep. That's it. Man, oh, oh, that's some drive and determination right there. <laughs> well, I've, I've done bigger and better hauls, and, uh, and I think the best I ever did was four days straight without any sleep. So, wow. Wow. And, and I had to function both mentally and physically during that time frame as well. I can't even imagine how that worked. Man, I that's... Ooh. That hurts to think about. Whew. But, I mean, that's uh, that just shows your level of dedication again, too. And, I mean, like, you look at you at today, like, compared to when you were active, not only in fighting and in wrestling, like, you're still in keen shape. Like, And I think we talked about it last night when, uh, when I called you previously, you know, just talking about being in shape and what that meant to you and just, like, the level that you carry yourself at. It's almost like you said days gone by. You were referring to wrestling. But still, that mentality that you have right now is something that's still considered days gone by to today's day and age. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, yeah, carryover. But it's, uh, I, I think, a combination of, I'll say, the upbringing I have, but then also when you work for yourself. Yes. There are there are days I wish, I wish I could only work eight hours a day and... I, I, I could put it to rest, but when you work for yourself, you work a lot more than eight hours a day. There's all kinds of things that you have to do. You're you're you are your own peer leader. Yep. You're 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 the boss. You're the uh, the employee, and then you you get you got to reprimand yourself, but then you get you fire yourself, but you got to rehire yourself because you can't afford to pay anybody else but you. So there you go. I've I've it's learned it all too cycle. well. <laughs> That is one hundred percent the truth. So let's uh let's talk about the amateur wrestling career for a little bit. What was it like for you starting out? Was that something that you took to right away, or was that something that you had to develop into? Because you went on to have quite the decorated career. I mean, you were even a two-time All-American. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, you, you, what you mentioned was I, I basically started off with basketball, but I mean, through again the school systems. I was really introduced to a lot of different sports just through, you know, the physical education class because it, it, it just followed its suit in the fall. They, you know, we'd be out there doing stuff with football. Uh, they'd be doing stuff with soccer. And then in wintertime, there's basketball, wrestling, and in spring, you're doing, you know, track and field, uh, baseball. You know, you know so you, you did, you, you, by the season, you just did different things. And that's back in the day where you still played evil dodgeball where headshots were yeah. good to go. You know, now it's all like, it's, you know, I don't know, I don't even know if people, young people know what dodgeball is. They may have to go watch it on an old uh, VHS tape there, the, the movie Dodgeball. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that movie, though. Same so, here, same here. Yeah. And I hate so, to I mean, it's, it's just, be, just be involved in, 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 in athletics. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I'll say how I how I really got involved in the sport of wrestling was I was on the I was on the basketball team at that time, but I was not that good at basketball to be able to be dribbled on the ball, look away, and actually still have that ball underneath my the palm of my hand. Um, and a big flu epidemic kind of hit, 
and uh, a number of uh, students were out of school. Well, some of them were on the team for the sport of wrestling. And, uh, you know, a couple of my, my buddies that were on, on the wrestling team, like, Dad, can you come come out and fill in a weight class for us? I, I kept thinking, I'm a, I'm a big, strong, smart boy. I, I, I'll teach somebody a thing or two about the thing called wrestling. Well, I wrestled twice, got beat twice. So it was like I didn't set the, the world on fire. I went back and finished up my illustrious uh, uh, basketball career. And then uh, the following year, I simply just jumped into the sport of, of wrestling. I gotcha, I gotcha. And then, I mean, in that time, too, like I say, like, you eventually went on to become a two-time All-American at Arizona State University. You actually, uh, you became a wrestling coach, you know, at that, at that university as well, and at Michigan State. And you even wrestled in multiple countries worldwide, too. Like, did you ever foresee that being something that would come just from you, like, stepping into the world of amateur wrestling? Well, in, in the beginning, it was just to be just doing sports. Yeah. But then... I started realizing by, by the time I started getting into my, my freshman, sophomore years of uh, high school, it, 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 you're looking at, okay, uh, I'm going to be graduating out of, out of high school here soon. Uh, where am I going to go to college? What am I going to uh, major in? What, uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for all this? Because Good question. The, the, thought, the thought of asking mom or dad for money never entered my mind because I had seven other brothers and sisters. You know, my parents don't have money to mm-hmm. pay for me to go to college. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're feeding and clothing eight kids. Yeah. So it's kind of going, how do I do this myself? So, uh, I'll just say that by my sophomore year in high school, the first of the, uh, college coaches were, were starting to eyeball my older brother and, and, and myself because they thought that we were uh, they thought that we were uh, well thought, thought we were uh, twins is what they thought <laughs> so but uh, it was uh, well, I should, so but I was just a little bit bigger than what he was and uh, always wrestled that weight class above him and uh, he just uh, when they found out that, that we were not uh, you know, they actually thought that was even greater yet. So I, I just say that I, I utilized the sport of wrestling and I, I put in a lot of hard work and dedication into my career just so that, you know, when it, when it did come around to my senior year, I mean, I had I had the pick of the litter. I could do whatever I wanted. I had a congressional nomination on top of that. So oh, wow. I went to the Air Force Academy. I, academically wise, I was always a base kid, three, two, three, three type student. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I always tell people that I'm an athlete with a brain, and I have worked with a lot of dumb jocks. I would like to work with an athlete with a brain any day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not as one dimensional at that point. Yes. And I mean, looking at it too, like, you even went to the Olympic trials twice in, you know, like 1984 and then in, 19, in 1988, sorry. And like, that's my, my, my first one was actually as a senior in high school. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. 1976 was my very first Olympic trials, so it was uh, it was uh, I'll say a lot of fun, and uh, I enjoyed it, and I kept thinking that that'll be me one day. That will be me. And what's like when you're in that situation too? What's it like mentally? 
especially being like that young, being your senior year, how do you process all that outside of thinking like one day that'll be me? Is there a lot of pressure and nerves or what was that like for you? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I, though I, I would not say it's not the pressure and nerves. I mean, the only pressure I, that to me that would be pressure I put on myself, but uh, it was, my own thing was like, I, I was a really strong pitter. Yes. And I always made the comment that nobody else can, can exert as much effort and energy as what I will do in those first opening minutes of a match to a point that I would overwhelm my opponent uh, physically and psychologically to where, I mean, uh, I, I would pit most of them within the first two wow. matches. And uh, I'll just say that, uh, that that caught the attention of, uh, I've got, I held pit record after pit record after pit record. One season, two seasons, three seasons, four seasons, most consecutive pits. Uh, at one point in time, I held eight national records for the high school association, and uh, that was a record in itself because no, no human had ever held that many records. Wow. So, you know, but but that was it, it. Even carried over in my freshman year at Arizona State, my freshman, my, my very first semester at ASU, you could you could see that there really was not a plan for. A degree, a degree and, and a graduation by my very first semester because I was a very successful athlete in high school. I wanted to be a very successful athlete in college, so I took like a nutrition class, knowing that anything I put in my body was going to make me an ultimate wrestler. I took a judo class so I could learn to use my legs like a second pair of arms. Mm-hmm. I took a weightlifting class so that I could learn to design weightlifting programs for the sport of wrestling and, and literally by doing all this stuff it, I mean, it it worked out for me because my freshman year at Arizona State I was 34 and 0 with 24 pins and I pinned 5 out of the 6 NCAA place finishers I, mean, I pinned a returned one of the returned Olympic champions uh, from the 1976 uh, team itself so I mean it was going from my senior year in high school to my freshman year of college, it was just a continuation of education and growth for me. Absolutely. And, and, and still continuing to reset my own goals, because each year, I mean, I'll, I'll use Christmas, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I should say not Christmas, but New Year's. You know, that's what people are asking you, did you set any New Year's resolutions? Well, to me, it's like, that was always a time when I would reflect that back from what did I achieve this past year, and what am I looking to try to achieve this year? And literally, I used to always have very explicit goals set for myself. I mean, you know, give you like an idea. From my junior year in high school to my senior year in high school, basically, in the high school, junior year, I pinned everybody but one person. Wow. And so, come my senior year, how do you up the ante? Well, the up the ante is I must pin everybody. That's it, yeah. And so basically I, I did that throughout my entire season. Uh, then I went to districts, regional, down at the state meet, and did, did that to everybody. Now I'm, I'm, walking, I'm getting ready to walk out on the mat 
for my very last batch of my career. Most people want to just go to states. Most mm-hmm. people would really winning would be happy to do it. My whole my pressure was I had pit my opponent the year before in forty eight seconds. Wow. So my pressure was walking out of the bat is I must win, I must pin, I must do it all under forty eight seconds. And I achieved my goal. That's amazing. That is insane. So it, it just you know, some people as they listen to this, they'll be like, Oh, this all this all too too break break ocean, stuff like this, but yeah, we go people can go actually go back and they can see they can see it. And, and so that, so I, I really did do it. Absolutely. And then just, that that begs my next question, uh, especially, you know, like, with college and your studies and setting these goals for yourself, uh, you know, like, did you ever have a problem, like, not getting overwhelmed with, you know, not only your studies, but taking judo, taking weight training, wrestling, and then setting these new goals for yourself every year? Did you ever feel like you were overwhelming yourself, or was it just something that kept you going the entire time? No, I, I, I think that's, uh, well, again, I still have my goals even yet uh, down. Of I course. Mean, I, don't, I don't need to have any goals, but I, I still have goals. Things I want to do, accomplish, achieve. Uh, you know, like I said this is a you know the unique thing I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm driving towards Columbus, Ohio. I'll, I'll be at the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic for for this weekend, and by the following weekend, I will be in uh, Austin, Texas. At uh, I forget what it's called exactly, but it's a, kind of some type of a musical uh, uh, conference that's going to be taking place. No, dance ever does not sing or, or play an instrument, but uh, <laughs> I will be at, at this, but also doing something with uh, NFTs. Oh, wow, okay. So I, I will be learning a lot more about NFTs. I, I just know just a little bit about them, but I'm, I'm there to learn more about NFTs and to uh, see what else I can learn and, 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 and or, or meet, because I always know that every time I go to an event like this, I will walk away with at least a couple of new great contacts that I will be adding to my database. Absolutely. Absolutely. And man, so like just in, you know, adding these things to your, your database and your repertoire, you know, you, you trained to become a professional wrestler and you debuted in 1991 after training with Al Snow. What led you from amateur wrestling to professional wrestling? It had to be after 1992 because as of I turned pro, professional was my first profession. I turned pro as of the 1992 Olympics. There, uh, okay. In the, in the Olympic Games itself, it was the first time that we had like our dream team. We had our professional basketball players that were playing into it. That's what when, when things changed as changed as of that 1992 Olympic Games. So I, I always tell people that I started jumping into the uh, professional scene, uh, the independent scene, you know, on, on, on some of the lower scale type of uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, working out with like Al Snow over at Body Slammers Gym in, in Lima, Ohio. And actually, I learned about him through a, uh, a friend by the name of uh, Eddie. Danny Cass was his great name. Uh, his real name was Dennis Cass Phillips. And he actually worked for the 
Michigan Wrestling Club. He was the president of the Michigan Wrestling Club, and I was the coach. Okay. So when, when, uh, when things would be, when we would con- conclude club business, then I would pick his brain about professional wrestling. And he tried to discourage me. And, and again, I, 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 I do understand why he, he, he did. But then he goes, if you still want to do it, I'll take you to this place. And, and this place was, you know, El Snow's Body Slammer's Gym. Man, so what was it like? Because um, we've heard stories, like everybody that's a wrestling fan has heard stories about, you know, like famous amateur professional or amateur wrestlers transitioning to professional wrestling. And it's not always the easiest thing to adapt to because obviously in amateur wrestling, you want to keep your back off the mat. But in professional wrestling, it's the opposite. What was that like for you when you started, you know, training and getting accustomed to everything? Now, it was, uh, I'll say... The hardest part was learning some of the, the psychological aspects of yes. uh, professional state, of, of listening to the crowd. Oh, yeah. Being, being an amateur wrestler, I was always used to going to foreign countries, and a lot of uh, people simply just hated Americans. Mm-hmm. And so I was so used to turn tooting the crowd out and also... Uh, you know, knowing that you had to beat two out of three of the referees because the referees are trying to screw you over as well. The main referee that's out on the bat, he usually is calling everything straight. It's just the two side referees, you know, they would, uh, you know, when, when the center referee is calling for, you know, points, he's looking off to what a side judge is that the, 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 the side judge would, would not be making eye contact with them. So sometimes the points would be scored, sometimes they would not because he had to have, always have two out of three of the referees had to be in agreeance with points. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was something, too, that you kind of mentioned on the phone with me last night as well. But when you when you start making these transitions, too, did anybody from the amateur world reach out to you and say, hey, this is not something you should do, or, hey, that may be the dreaded F word, fake, and that's going to make our sport look bad? Did anybody have that kind of conversation with you? Well, I mean, that's where I get that. Uh, Denny Cass, Dennis Cass was, was actually trying to dis- discourage me originally, mm-hmm. only because it's a it's it's becoming a professional center is it's, it's a tough lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, a, a lot of a lot of people will never understand some of the stuff that that these guys and gals what they have to go through, and um, but at the same token, a lot of professional wrestlers need to have multiple jobs moving forward because the, the one of the bad things about professional wrestling is you cannot get health benefits yep. in professional wrestling. Very true. I could get, as a cage fighter, I could go get health insurance. That's <laughs> shocking, as a actually. Wrestler, no. Wow. I would I would have expected it to be the other way around if that was even a thing, but that's, wow. Well, again, because... Uh, Several, several uh, professional wrestlers uh, worked the system to where they claimed they had an injury. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. And were milking out certain health benefits. And once the health benefits uh, expired, it was like, lo and behold, I am cured. Yeah, right. I believe that was the old, uh, the old Lloyds of London deal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a pretty... Lloyds of London... Will will ensure 
<laughs> well, it's your uh, atomic waste on a, on a ship going across the, the ocean and, and won't, and won't uh, underwrite a professional wrestler. That's, uh, that speaks volumes right there. Yeah, that does. That does. And, and speaking of that, too, like just, you know, a ship going across the ocean there, you, like, as you got further into your career, you actually wrestled for a company that over in Japan that has gotten a lot of recognition again lately called FMW, thanks to Dark Side of the Ring, where they were mainly known for, like, their death matches and all these different dangerous stunts that would happen inside of a professional wrestling ring. Did you ever see yourself being involved with a promotion like that when you took this journey into the professional wrestling world? Uh, no, but then I, I never thought I would be... Uh... In, in the ring at a, uh, uh, one of these, uh, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank here right now. Um, gosh. I'm trying to think. What, what, like the Tokyo Dome or? No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with this. Actually, it's in the United States here. Oh. But, but they, they run the shows that start around, like at midnight, what it's like. And they're, they're really wacky, weird types of shows. But they're just uh, a couple. Uh, they're they're musicians. Ah, um, what is? I, I'm drawing a blank on that myself. Now that you say it, I actually have their, I've got their, their faces in my mind. I just can't come up with their, their name here right now. But uh, it, it'll, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get a little bit further in the conversation. Then I'll, I'll it'll, it'll it'll come back to me. Of course, then. of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's just. You know, like when you get in a situation like that, you're known as a guy, especially, and this is one of the reasons that, like I mentioned when you and I first started talking, is like you're known for being unusually calm before you go into a situation or you go into a match or a, a fight. How did you how did you get to that point to where you just centered yourself and you were you know like you were in a calm state of mind before you actually went into competition? Again, that was something that I, I learned. I'll say that from reading different uh, books, magazines, things of that nature, because like I said that the internet didn't really exist right uh, way back then. So I, just a lot of the literature I, I read. My high school wrestling coach um, was also a uh, government teacher in, in high school, and uh, I just remember like the one day when I was walking up to his uh, desk and I handed a paper. I saw this big stack of amateur wrestling news magazines. I'd never seen this magazine before. I'm like, coach, I said, can I, can I look through a few of these? And he goes, yep. He says, no problem. Just make sure they, they end up back on my, my desk. And so as I'm looking through these magazines, all the, the world of amateur wrestling really opened up to me because there are all kinds of articles about setting goals, mm-hmm. about nutrition, about uh, workout routines, all kinds of cool new techniques. They talked about upcoming wrestling camps, clinics, all these great instructors, these great athletes. And, and I'll just say that, you know, up to that point in time, I was like every other wrestler. I simply did whatever the coach told me. But now this basically was like a great awakening for me because now I've seen so many more options of things to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that's that's powerful right there. I mean, it just it shows how much that stuck with you too, like ever since, because you're still dedicated. Like you said, you're still setting these goals today, and it's still driving you. Like like you said, you're going to the Arnold Classic this weekend. That's that's an that's a hell of an impressive thing. 
Yeah, well, again, well, I'll say that uh, the world has been kind of a strange the last couple of years because when we've had this uh, COVID situation that's been taking place. Yep. And, uh, and as, we're, as I'm, I'm talking to you now, I have to make a decision right now because my certain dates are closed off here right now. I'm thinking, now, how am I supposed to make this work? <laughs> right, right. Uh, I got, I got, I got to take a couple of detours here now, but it'll, it'll give me something here shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, the show goes on. That's it. That's uh, it. And with that too, um, as you start doing more of these independents, you like eventually you end up becoming a two-time NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and you have one of the longest reigns of the modern era with that title as well, which is you know a rarity to even think about in today's terms. But how did you get on the NWA's radar, especially at a time when it may not have been of of highest regard as it had been, you know, like back in the eighties when everybody knew of Jim Crockett promotions and you had the traveling world champion going everywhere. How did you get on their radar? And then what did that mean to you to become the world champion? Well, you know, I really don't know uh, who came up with the idea. I, I think it had something to do with the, of uh, Dennis Carluso. I, I think uh, he was one of the people that's the, Um, the NWA at the time that, uh, that, uh, I took the, the strap on, there wasn't, there wasn't much, there wasn't much left. Uh, I'll say there just wasn't much, I'm stuttering here because I've got to make a, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm watching my, my cell phone, trying to make decisions here. Right, right. I've, I've, been, I've, I've been around the Chicago area, and there's a, a bunch of closed roads, and I'm being kind of turned around, and so that's why I'm, I'm kind of stabbing and stuttering here just a little bit, because I'm trying to read, watch, and uh, make a, a quick decision as to which way I have to be headed here right now, because I, 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 this has been a long drive so oh, far, yeah. and... Uh, uh, a little bit of sleep deprivation on top of all of that. Well, be safe first and foremost. That's the main thing. What is the name of that uh, that that musical group that uh, I can't come up with here yet? Huh. Wasn't was it kind of? I know, like because a lot of people in the wrestling business have referenced like a Nirvana or somebody like that. Was it like that? No, no, no. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be almost be comical because they. Uh, Boy. Okay, like grudge, uh, what is it? Ah, uh... uh, um. Oh, shit. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing here now. I don't think so. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. The fun continues. Yeah, I gotta. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Something here different here right now. Let me show me. Yeah, it's uh, again, sorry, sorry, Dad. Oh, you're fine, you're fine. Just, just, just distracted right now. No worries. Like I said, as long as you're being safe, that's the main thing. I'm being safe, all right. I just, uh, there's no traffic at this hour, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a plus. 
because it's, uh, yeah, it's, would that want to be uh, dealing with the rush hour traffic at, at this hour? Oh, Lord, no. Lord, no. I wouldn't want to deal with that, period. Well, let's go on, let's go on to the next question. Then. At least we'll, we'll, we'll go into something different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, like, when you... When you start working with the NWA and you become the the world's heavyweight champion, eventually too you transfer over into the world of UFC. And this is back when it was the, for layman's terms, it was the wild wild west where it was literally just a a hodgepodge of different styles and fighting techniques. There weren't really weight classes or anything like that. And you know it was just uh like you could have a wrestler versus a you know a judo you know a judo fighter. You could have these kinds of mixed matches. How did you get involved in that, and what was the appeal to you of going into that world? Well, I mean, it was, uh, again, I, I looked at it as merely as a, a challenge. Yes. Really, when I, when I first saw it, just a challenge. And, and the aspect of, uh, do I have the skill set to get to you before you get to me? Knowing that, I don't even know who I'm walking up against because uh, it, it was, you, you, did, you did not know who anybody was until basically... Uh, the night of a press conference. So when you look at uh, uh, today, they have, you know, they have this this uh, weigh-in, the official weigh-in. You know, just like you said earlier, there were no weight classes back then. Mm-hmm. It's just un, un, you know any weight. Uh, there was no time limits. Uh, it was known as NHB, which stood for No Holds Barred. Yes. It was just, uh, it was very 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 raw in format. And uh, you know, bare knuckle. Oh so yeah. You didn't, didn't wear gloves. Uh, I could actually wear shoes, but they did. They're like, well, if you wear shoes, you can't do it. They kick or stop, and I'm thinking, well, what did I lose there? Nothing. But at least I'd have a, a better grip, grippy surface on uh, on this uh, vinyl bat because I, you know, being a wrestler, I should be doing that a uh, uh, little bit of sweat on a uh, uh, surface like that. You could actually lose your. Your, your footy. Very true, and that, speaking from experience in wrestling boots that don't have the best, you know, best grip on the mat, that's one hundred percent true. Yep. So when you when you get into something like that, because I mean, like, there's been videos that have circulated, especially recently, thanks to the magic of YouTube. What was it like? You know, like let's say if you went in against a fighter that may have been twice your size, or you know, because you see people that were well over 400 pounds that were getting in there, but they were locking up with a guy that may have been like 190 or 200. What was that like for you when you were in a situation like that? Well, I mean, you know, my amateur wrestling career actually helped me out a great deal because even when I was at Arizona State University, I wrestled at the 195 weight class. And uh, you usually as an athlete in sport wrestling, you work out with people one weight class below yours, at your weight class, and one weight class above yours. Well, the weight class above mine was heavyweight. Well, heavyweight was unlimited. You could weigh yeah. stage. And one of my workout partners was Big James Mitchell, and Big James Mitchell weighed uh, just over 400 pounds. So wow. I always tell people that in, the, in my preseason, I was working out with a 400-pound man three times a day. Man, that yeah, that'll get you ready for it for sure. Yeah. Man. That's that's insane to think about. I mean, with that too, you went on to become the heavyweight champion and then you also became the first triple crown champion. And you like you were the first guy to have these titles 
and the NWA World's Heavyweight title on WWF at the time television. Did At the time, did you realize how significant of an accomplishment that was? Or was that something that's just become more, you know, become more, I guess, more obvious in, in these more recent years? Well, you, you know, I mean, I think, I think sometimes I think I was just simply just going through, I, I did not have time to really uh, uh, sit back and, 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 you know, bask, bask in any, any of this, because I was just going on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right, right. And then when you're also in a locker room with a bunch of professional wrestlers, like, of course, you have other, you know, people with MMA backgrounds there, like the legendary Ken Shamrock or even, uh, you know, like a Steve Blackman. But you have other wrestlers there that we both know can have loud mouths and big egos or even fragile egos. Did you ever have anybody try to test you and then find out, like, oh, you're messing with the wrong guy at this point? Well, I mean, I... Early in my career, I had one, one or two matches where I, I did have someone test me, and basically one, one guy that tried to come in, <clears throat> tried to actually do like a, a legitimate double leg takedown onto me, and, and, and I had to basically, uh, I'll say, gave him the, the, the power bomb from hell. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate to be that guy. I mean, literally, when I went, because you know, I just, you know, as he's trying to come in my legs, I just grabbed around the waist, and as I, as I, I literally, I, as I brought him up in the air, I released him, grabbed him, and then basically pulled him down. That was in the in the match. It wasn't supposed to be, but it was in, in the in the match because he hit pretty darn hard. Oh, I would say so. I would say so. And in a situation like that too, where you are the UFC heavyweight champion, you're the NWA World's heavyweight champion. When you're in the ring with a WWE performer. Was there ever any kind of strict guideline like this guy can't lose because he's got this legitimate title and he's also this world champion, or did that even come into the equation at that point? Well, I mean, it was. Uh, you know, I I learned a lot about the NWA belt and uh, the, the rich history that came with it, and you know, then learned more and more about uh, again about professional wrestling, but then that the the. the more the heritage of shooters and hookers, people of, of legit backgrounds that that sported the belt, and you know, then it, you know, I I felt like I was a throwback from days gone by. Of Absolutely, being come, come from that same cloth. And that's that's one thing too that is synonymous with your name these days too, because you still hear people talk about the way you carry and present yourself and the way that you did it at that time too. Just you carried yourself like a traveling world champion. And if I'm not mistaken too, I think you even told me that you had the legendary Bruno San Martino say that he respected what you were doing as the NWA world's champion. Well, yeah, he ended up, uh, he ended up calling me on my cell phone. I mean, again, cell phones at that time without all that prevalent. And, uh, I mean, he, he, you know, I didn't even find out what my cell phone number was, but he called me up and he, he said, uh, yeah, I heard all the good things that you're doing with the NWA, the NWA uh, title belt, stuff like that. He knows keep up the good work, and uh, and then eventually uh, we end up meeting at uh, one of these uh, comic cons, and uh, you know it was actually it was it was great meeting. And then uh, you know when I would uh, go to another one down the road, I knew he'd be there. I, I would go out of my way to go over and get just to say hello and shake his hand. 
Absolutely, and that's and he's a, a he's an intimidating presence to meet because I've met him once myself, and like just even in his older years, like the aura and the mystique around him is just one of those things that never goes away. And for somebody like that to give you that nod and that praise, like that is the highest regard you could get. Yeah, the NWA belt was my first title belt, and it still means uh, the most to me because, like I said, it was it was the first one, and, and that you know that to have to speak to the representatives of the UFC and get it to where uh, my entourage, Dennis Carluzzo, actually carried it out to the octagon cage, and at that time the UFC did not want to have anything to do. With professional wrestling, they were trying to show that you know they're they're legit. Mm-hmm. They don't do any of this uh, hokey dokey or whatever type of stuff right there. And then I had to educate uh, the ownership uh, as to what this belt meant to be, and, and you know I had to worry about me ever doing anything like that. And so they they allowed it, and uh, I'll just say that that was at UFC number uh, five, and uh, shortly after winning the tournament. Inside the oxygen cage, I was uh, there's photos of me holding up both the uh, new UFC title belt alongside the NWA championship title belt as well. Absolutely, and that's a, and that's a picture that I'll make sure we have a link to in the show notes as well because that's a it's a rare thing and it's a very impressive thing at the same time. And then with the NWA and with the UFC, you eventually go on to become a Hall of Famer for both organizations. What did that mean to you? Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, I think in our previous conversation, I think I've been either inducted into either 20 or 30 Hall of Fames. My yes. very first one was actually back in 1976 when I was inducted into my Arizona State Hall of Fame. And I always kept thinking, well, don't you have to be, wait till you're done? to be inducted because I was thinking, hey, I was just a, a young buck at that point in time. I was still just getting my wings underneath me. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, to be recognized by your peers and uh, other uh, historians, I mean, it, it makes you feel good. Absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, at the same time, too, you went on to continue competing even after that, and you've competed up until 2019, like – what what is that like for you and what have you had to change you know like training wise to be able to stay in ring shape as you've continued to compete for this many years uh, well I mean it's uh, well uh, you know life is competition that's just, I mean, just how I look at it uh, we compete for uh, we compete for the best mates we compete for the best jobs I mean life is competition so anyone that says anything different, uh, I, I think they got their head uh, up to their, their own rectum is really what they have done because of that life is competition. Um, I'll continue to train only because it's uh, something that uh, you know. If you want to, if you want to live as long as possible, if you want to be as healthy as possible, you better be doing some type of a workout regimen. But you have to work both your body. And your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's kind of the biggest thing that I found not a lot of people do. They think that they can have a strong body, but they can continue to feed themselves negative, 
you know, just negative junk on the mind, and that that has as much of an impact as what you do physically. Because if you're not feeding your body, you know, positive and strong things mentally, you're pretty much just doing. You're not doing yourself any good at all, and you're negating everything you're doing physically. Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, I'll just say it's it's really quite sad what has happened in the United States and basically in the world when you look at. Uh, you know, just one aspect of our different media outlets. Absolutely. There, there was a point in time where your media outlets better do their homework. They better be doing some fact-checking before yep. they start blurting out information because you would be held accountable for wrong information. Yes, and sir. In today's world... Our media now can actually flat out lie, mm-hmm. and, and there is no repercussion. That's the truth, and it that's, seems that's, like that's, that's sad. I know, I know from experience in college too that a lot of the media tends to lean towards the negative because the negativity sells. But again, too, you can find out which channels have their slants which way, or you can tweak this word and make it mean something different. You know, it's like you said, it's not as much of an accountability thing as it used to be. Very, it's, very it's, true. It's sad that contracts, documentation, isn't even legit anymore because so many people have, have gotten legal ways to get out of things. Yep. And uh, again, that's what I, I always tell people that I'm, I'm a little bit more of the, that throwback to days gone by, and that's where your word and that handshake and looking somebody in the eye used to mean something. Absolutely, and I think uh, that's that's one of the reasons that I actually wanted to speak with you is because my thought process is so similar to what yours is on that as well. And I mean, it's even to the point where, you know, it's like in the in the wrestling locker room, for example, you have some guys that give those limp, you know, the limp fish handshakes. There are so many people now in the real world that do that, and it just it blows my mind that that's kind of like where it's at right now. Oh, uh, oh, that's. I used to scare a lot of guys in the locker room because they're all, they're all doing that little two fingered weedy looking handshake. But I mean, it's supposed to it's supposed to symbolize and mean something in, in that worker world. But to me, it's like going, dude. And, and I, when they extend their hand, and all of a sudden, I just basically I I, go, I gulp their hand and I squeeze it and I give them a firm handshake and they're looking at me like well, this guy doesn't understand what what, what we're doing. I, I'm like, going, no, I understand. Yeah. So I just am not going to give you that. That little lip wrist pussy little handshake. That's not, okay. We're men. We're being each other. Give me a, a nice firm handshake. Absolutely, absolutely. And man, this has been a, an insightful conversation here. I can't believe that it's already been almost an hour, but. I've learned so much, you know, like not only about your more learn more about your mindset and your mentality, I should say, and how it's driven you to keep you successful all the way, like even after your wrestling and fighting career. So this has been an awesome pleasure for me. Well, 
and it just dawned on me. It was called the Insane Clown Posse. That's and I've been on shows with them, so I apologize that I couldn't even think of that. But yeah, man, I was trying to come up, I, I couldn't come up with it. But I think what what is it that was so crazy about it? They were insane. Well, yeah, Insane Clown Posse. There you go. That's it, and then they've done some insane spots. I will say that too. Whew. Well, again, just, just to, to re- re- recap that one story there. I mean, that was a show that started like around one o'clock in the morning. Yes, gathering. It was at the gathering. That's right. And to watch people, you know, throwing these these uh, two liter bottles of mango soda pop. Oh God, yeah. And I've heard they they've thrown worse. They basically shake them up and throw them into the, the ring, and they would you know, shoot off like, like little bottle rockets. And now, you know, you think about trying to wrestle on a sticky, slippery, you know, uh, surface like that. It just, it, like I said, it just, it was one of the most strangest, interesting shows I had ever been on. I actually thought it was very disrespectful the way that the fans were treating the uh, athletes and the athletes are still trying to put on a great performance that I think and, and, and you, you, you got people that are using you like a uh, you know a, a target a movie target yep I mean that's that could very easily end somebody's career or change their life for the worse you know like unfortunately the Darren Drozdov situation somebody gets hit in the back of the head drops in the wrong way and he's paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life like there are consequences to those actions. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, this has been this has been an insightful and awesome conversation. And if you're up for it, Dan, I think we should turn the you know turn the tides a little bit, and I throw the reins over to you and let you ask me a few questions if you're up for it. All right. Well, again, first off, what what made you what made you want to actually pursue professional wrestling? Well. Come to find out, um, I actually have family down in the Memphis, Tennessee area that knows um, WWE Hall of Famer Coco Beware. So I got introduced to him as I was just, I wouldn't say a casual fan, but I would watch wrestling, you know, every every week in the early 2000s. But I met him, and then I saw, um, it was a WrestleMania 21 match with Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels and just the athleticism and the believability and the storytelling of that match just had me hook, line, and sinker. And that's that was my sophomore year of high school, and I just explored every option until I actually graduated high school to find out where I could go to train and where, you know, it just I was hooked from that point on. Okay, but uh, when you first started doing the training, did you did you see like kind of the, the rickety basket that uh, professional wrestling is? Oh yeah, and then it's what's even funnier, and I'm not I'm not saying this to disparage them as well, but you know you see everything on the indies, and then you go and work for WWE as an extra, and you see that it's just amplified there, like it's the same things that go on, and oddly enough, that rickety basket has opened my eyes to a lot of other things in the real world too like whether it's in the acting world or whatever it is you become more aware of what's going on around you whereas you may have just put up your blinders before but yeah you become aware of that pretty quick yeah I'm a big advocate if you ever wanted to go into business for yourself I always tell people uh, take at least uh, one or two semesters of professional say 101 and 102 it will prepare it will prepare you for just about anything 
Absolutely will. <laughs> That's the truth of it for sure. Okay, to continue back on some cool questions, what, what is something that you do as recreational? I mean, what something that you do that's relaxing to you, whether it's reading, writing, uh, watching, uh, comedy? Uh, I mean, what, what is something that you enjoy as something just recreational for yourself? Right now, I've got three things in particular. Uh, definitely reading um, any kind of science fiction or biography. I'm a huge fan of that. I've turned my garage into a home gym, so definitely you know, getting out there and just getting in my own little world for an hour or so. And then also, the since baseball season just started back for my son, just watching my oldest son play baseball. Those are my three big things right now. Okay. Favorite food? Favorite food, man, um, I'm going to have to say grilled wings more than anything else. Grilled wings. Grilled wings? Yes, sir. Grilled wings. All right. Okay, that makes makes sense. To me, it's like when it comes to food, I I tear up almost anything and everything. I don't don't think I really have any just one thing that I I like the most. It just depends on the day and what's available. I think you're right, and that's kind of, truth be told, that's what's popping into my mind right now, but there are a lot of things I wouldn't say no to, but I think that's just first and foremost, that's what's jumping in my mind right now. (laughs) Have you ever enjoyed terrorizing a buffet? Oh, several times, several times, and especially before a lot of wrestling shows, too. Okay, is there any particular type of buffet you prefer to terrorize? Is it uh, like a uh, uh, old country buffet, a uh, uh, Chinese, uh, Mexican, or does it matter, or... Is it just food at that point in time? Most times it's just food, but with the with the proximity to the buildings that we would be at, most times it was a part Chinese, part hibachi grill, like an all-you-can-eat buffet. So I would always go straight for the hibachi. There you go. Well, I, I can't, can't fault you there. I, I, guilty as charged as well. That's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's quality stuff. It's protein. And tell yourself it's better for you than some of the other stuff out there, too. That's it. Well, man, this was a blast. And like I said, I appreciate you just taking the time on your travels to, you know, to carve out some time and chat with me here because this has been an awesome experience for me as well. Well, it helps to pass some time for me. Absolutely. And like I said, I'm glad you're you're close to the finish line there too because, I mean, yes, I that's going to be a big weekend for you up there. Yep. Looking forward to it. And, and uh, like I said, it's just, it'll be just one more feather in the cap because – It'll be done, and I'll be then be headed towards Austin, Texas, by next weekend. Absolutely, it's a man, a man of the road, getting those miles in. Yep. That's it. Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time here tonight, and we'll make sure that we catch up here soon. All right. Sounds very good. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. Bye. Bye. We're gonna take one more pause for a word from the Give Me Back My Podcast Network, and we're back. And there it is. There was my conversation with the one and only The Beast, Dan Severn. And I just got to thank him again for not only taking the time to have this conversation with me, but for being so generous and willing with his time and the conversations that we had off air too. Dan, thank you so much. You are welcome back on any time you want. And guys, I hope you have enjoyed this. I can't believe that we're already in season three and that this podcast is a year old. I mean, what? That's insane. 
And I couldn't think of a better way to start it off than with Dan Severn kicking season three into high gear and kicking off our second year of the podcast. But before we get out of here tonight, guys, I got to make you this promise. We're only going to go higher and higher and things are only going to get bigger and better. And I know you hear me when I say that. So make sure you're following us on all social media platforms. And I don't just mean the I Know You Hear Me podcast. I mean Tales from the Haunt, too. We're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're also on all podcasting platforms. We're on Google, Apple, Spotify. Go subscribe on your preferred platform. Like us and share us. Leave us a five-star review and get the word out because these podcasts have something for everybody. But guys, I'm going to get out of here for the night. It's been a long day, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. But before I do, I've got to encourage you to go out and do some good in the world and find some ways to change your mindset for the better. That way you're having a better experience in life as a whole. So for myself and for Dan Severn, I thank you all for tuning into our... The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.